politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Well, Biden spoke about the supply chain and then, well, I should say he read something on the teleprompter. Then he turned his back and walked out of the room, showing America his back. That's what he does. Basically, the entire fix to the supply chain is all the private sector just doing more work, which is the way it should be, by the way. There's still one big impediment in the way. Government. Several things. The Jones Act, unemployment benefits, all of that. But Biden didn't address any of that today, did he? No, of course not. No, he did not. Good afternoon. How are you today? What's going on? How's your day going? I see many people are still pushing the lie that unemployment benefits ended. Really? Which state in America is not paying unemployment to people? I'm curious about that. Can you tell me which one? Because I haven't been able to find it. I've been looking. I would be, I'm looking, but I can't find it anywhere. Uh, So what did Biden say today and what's going on? I'll give you the update on that. But there's a lot of bottlenecking, long-distance trucking restrictions, the Jones Act, unemployment benefits, all these things that have led to trucker shortages. Biden completely ignored all that today. He really did. He, he ignored all that, and then America got his back, and he walked out of the room, and, you know, that was it. Uh, riveting start, by the way, by the president. Riveting. I'm joined by the executive director of the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, Gene Soroka, and... Uh, and Mario, Mario Cordono, uh, I miss, I apologize, Mario, um, that, uh, and the president of the International Longshoremen's Union, Willie Adams. He should get a guest reader. It, it, like Dr. Seuss Day, they get celebrity readers to come in and read to the kids. I've done that before. Not that I'm, you know, but I've, I've done it. I've come to my kids' class before and I've read on Dr. Seuss Day. Why can't Biden get a guest reader? Just, you know, today today's speech by President Biden is going to be read by Samuel L. Jackson. And he can come out and curse the supply chain or something like that. Read by John Travolta. What, whoever. I mean, hey, Daniel Craig needs some work now that the James Bond movie. Oh, by the way, I saw the Bond movie today. I snuck out to a little daytime matinee and uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I really did. I thought it was great. The ending, eh, 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 eh. But overall, the movie was great. It's not as woke as I thought it was going to be, which is good. I was a little bit nervous about that going in, but uh, but all in, it was a it was a very exciting movie. Long though, two hours and forty five minutes. So get the extra popcorn. I got a huge bag of popcorn. But let me know what you think if you saw it. Let me know what you think. I'm going to go back and rewatch Casino Royale because I think that's my favorite of the Daniel Craig Bond movies. But I may just go back and just go all the way back to Connery and just start start from scratch. To be honest with you, because um, I don't know, I get on these kicks sometimes where I, I, I want to watch the entire series of something, and I just can't help but do it. Oh, and the new Halloween movie is coming out this weekend. Uh, it's all about how Hillary Clinton won't get out of politics and continues every Halloween to terrify us by saying that she's never going to get out of politics. And no matter what, the curse can't be lifted. The curse cannot be lifted, so she's back again and again. And just when you think she's destroyed, she's back every November, like clockwork. Michael Myers and Hillary Clinton keep turning up. Nothing we can do about it. There doesn't seem to be any remedy to that anyway. So Biden should just get celebrity readers in there and somebody else can read for him and then we'll be good. You know what I mean? Just do it like that. May God protect our troops. Thank you all so very much. That's it. 
he's out. They should play some really cool exit music when he leaves. Like, you know, like as he's shuffling off to go back into the antechamber where they, I assume, give him oxygen. They should play at least some sort of music, an orchestra. I think the White House should get an orchestra. Have them just sit up in the room. I think they do it from the East Room of the White House. Just have the orchestra there and then play him out. Play him out. Something. It got to be a little bit better than that because I'm just so tired of hearing the press, the, the press go, Mr. President, Mr. President, Mr. President, knowing that they're not going to get any answers from him. May God protect our troops. Thank you all so very much. <laughs> President Biden, as you just heard, That's it. Making walking the out, walking out of the room. It's what he does. It's what he does. He just leaves. Let's see now. I got. Uh, let's see if I can do. Let's see if this. Nah, I need something peppier. I need like the. I need like the Tonight Show or something like that. All right. Anyway, uh, so he walks out of the room, like he always does, and shows America his back after reading something on screen. And I don't know who does the teleprompter fonts, but can they not make them bigger? How about cue cards? I think that's really the problem is the president keeps reading from this very small teleprompter screen. He just needs giant cue cards and then somebody can walk around with them and that it'll be good. You know what I mean? I want to thank my supply chain disruption task force, which we set up in June. Yeah, my supply sane. Nothing sane about this task force, by the way, Mr. President. Just FYI, nothing, nothing about it. Now, you understand about inflation, right? Do you understand inflation? The question is, does, does the White House spokesperson, Jen Psaki, understand inflation? Because she's the only one actually talking and answering questions and not just reading things. Although she does read a lot from her. She got a big binder up there, if you notice at the podium. She kind of flips through it, depending on the topic, to read what the talking points are. But they do a lot of reading in the White House. Very well read. It's a very well read White House. Say what you will. I know you do. But, but when the deceleration is happening slower, perhaps than people expected a few months ago, yeah. and people are still paying ten or fifteen or twenty percent more for meat, and they're saying, "Why was it supposed to be transitory three months ago, four months ago, and we're still here?" Does that make things more difficult to explain? as to why this is Well, it requires us explaining and through working with all of you as well that um, the cost of meat is also related to competition and the, oh. uh, the, the small number of large uh, meat producers who have a dominance over the market and uh, the fact that a lot of these issues are uh, not as simple as a one-sentence explanation uh, and that different industries have different issues in the supply chains, different issues that are causing some increases in prices and also because we all understand the American people are not looking at cost-to-cost comparisons from this year to two years ago. They're looking at cost-to-cost comparisons to their checkbooks from eight months ago or 12 months ago. And even though factually, if you look back to two years ago, things may be comparative, that's not how people look at things. So our objective here is to tackle each of these issues uh, with the approach that we think will help address it in the shortest term. Except, though, that they do look back two years ago because the whole thing is, are you better off four years ago than you are today? And every time there's an election, (coughs) excuse me, and members of the House of Representatives are up every two years, they actually do go back and look two years ago. But I don't know about you, but I I look at the price of goods. I, I think about my budget, our family's budget. Are we making more money now or less money? Are things more expensive or less expensive? You know who doesn't go back and look at stuff like this? People who work in government. 
because they have these guaranteed jobs and the jobs usually there's a scale so if they're a gs14 they get this salary and they get promoted to gs17 and so yeah maybe they don't go back and look at it but other people do and they look at it and they think to themselves this is problematic for me and my family because I don't have as much money as I had two years ago in my bank account because of everything has gotten so expensive, I haven't gotten a raise. I, it's the same amount of money I had last time. So it is getting more expensive, absolutely, no doubt about it. And even though inflation is $15 an hour, I mean, excuse me, inflation is record, does the White House still want to go with raising minimum wage to $15 an hour? You betcha. Over the long term, which is exactly what the president's agenda will do. Thanks, Jim. Um, on the issue of wages, has the president given up on the idea of a $15 minimum wage, or is that something he still intends to pursue, and if so, when? Absolutely. He wants to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. He remains committed. As you know, it was in an earlier package and then was not approved by the parliamentarian, uh, but it is something that he's still absolutely committed to increasing. He thinks it's long overdue. It's exactly what our small businesses need right now when they can't find workers to begin with, and they're having to pick which days to close and which days to shorten their hours. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. But look, if you listen to the show, you know that I'm very, very fond of saying, cause COVID. I love that saying, cause COVID, because you can blame anything on it. And I think some people use it as an excuse all the time. Uh, can't go tonight because uh, COVID. Uh, why is there no toilet paper here? Because uh, COVID. Why can't I walk around and do this or do that? Because uh, COVID. And sometimes it's weird stuff. You know, we can't, We the, the coffee, the, 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 like you go into places and you used to have coffee in the waiting room. And they don't do it anymore. And you go, hey, how come there's no coffee? They go, oh, because COVID. Wait, what? I don't understand. What, what does that have to do with COVID? What is what is this? Coffee spread COVID? Is is, is is the caffeine molecule spreading COVID? Or are you guys just cheap and don't want to put coffee out in the restroom anymore? Just be honest with us. Just give me on. Come on, be honest. But you got to understand all these things that are going on, the rising prices, inflation, supply chain, gas prices, all of it is cause. We are very well aware um, for a range of issues, and we should talk about those, uh, that um, the American people are, of course, impacted by uh, rising prices of gas in some parts of the country, not all. Uh, and also uh, looking ahead to the winter season and looking at um, – uh, natural gas uh, supply out there. Maybe they don't look at it exactly through that prism, but I would say we do. And so, of course, the president has asked um, his economic team, as they do on any range of issues impacting the public, to continue to discuss what the options are uh, that we can take to address uh, these shortages. Now, we know uh, that some of the issue here is supply as a result of the pandemic, and there's a natural gas shortage around the world, hence the need for the United States to continue to export natural gas. Huh? There's a, there's a gas shortage around the world? I, I, did, I had no idea there was a gas shortage because COVID. There you go. Throw that in too. A gas shortage because COVID. Fantastic. Good. I was really wondering where all the gas went, but clearly it's just there's just a shortage of it because COVID because the gas is afraid of COVID too. So... Can the White House guarantee that Christmas presents will arrive on time this year? Well, thankfully, they're not Santa Claus. And thankfully, they are not in charge of anything that would require them to get presents to people. But what they could do is they could knock down some of those roadblocks, like I said earlier, the Jones Act and some others. But instead, they're just going to tell you, well, listen, maybe, maybe not, because COVID, what are you going to do? I mean, maybe you'll get them, maybe you won't. I don't know. Based on everything being announced today. Yeah. Can... This administration guaranteed 
that holiday packages will arrive on time. We are not the Postal Service or UPS or Actually, FedEx. Uh, the government is kind of the Postal Service, can- but uh, just that's a kind of a little point. Technically, sort of, kind of a, the government, but I digress. Anyway, let, let me let me just let her finish here. That holiday packages will arrive on time. We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee. What we can do is use every lever at the federal government disposal to reduce uh, delays, to ensure that we are uh, addressing bottlenecks in the system, including uh, ports and the the need for them to be open longer hours so that goods can arrive. Uh, and we can continue to press uh, not only uh, workers and, and unions, but also companies to take as many steps as they can to reduce these delays. Well, I feel better. Do you feel better? I mean, you should, because that's definitely something. We got no specifics on what they'll do with the federal levers. But, you know, it was all kind of inevitable, wasn't it? I mean, because COVID, it's really kind of inevitable. Not only is there a gas shortage, but these things, you know, what are you going to do? At their local small businesses and parts that are uh, sent to U.S. factories for our workers to assemble into products, which will strengthen the resiliency of our supply chains. It was inevitable, as we've talked about a bit in here, that our, a lot of our economic challenges, that there would be economic challenges coming out of the pandemic. That is why President Biden has been just as focused on this as he has on the other challenges which he addressed in the American Rescue Plan. Because COVID. So again, because COVID, now we have that too. Inflation numbers are soaring. We don't know if your kids are going to get your Christmas presents uh, in time. I don't, I don't know. But I do know, though, is that the whole entire idea of where we are right now with this White House and this administration, Joe Biden as president is clearly not in charge of this country. I mean, come on, let's just be honest. The guy comes out, he reads something, he walks away, walks behind the curtain, and then Jen Psaki comes out and just says a bunch of things, blames a bunch of things and blames people and blames COVID and blames this and blames that, and they don't actually offer any real solutions. So that's where things are, and that's where things stand today. And I wish I could give you some more reassuring uh, ideas from today, but I can't because nothing came of substance out of it other than a promise by the president that there'll be lots of things the private sector is going to be doing as they should. And the ports are going to be working around the clock and the ports are going to be doing all these things as best as they can. You have to understand with the fact that they still are dealing with a labor shortage because Democrats are still willing to pay people unemployment benefits without requiring them to look for work. And food and energy prices continue to spike everywhere across the country, which is driving up the cost of everything and also hurting the supply chain. But the president today, you know, if you think about one of the situations of responsive government, of turning around and asking what could be done, there was no roundtable in front of the camera. Did you notice that? president came out and read something, and then he walked away. Where was the roundtable with ideas and the president and the people in government actually talking about some of the ideas that the federal government could do? You notice how that's conspicuously absent from all of this? Here's a little bit of what the president said today. Weeks of negotiation and working with my team and with the major union retailers and freight movers, the ports of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the port of Long- what good is that if you don't have enough employees to work there and if you don't have enough truckers to drive the trucks that they're loading things onto in the first place? What good is it? They could be open 24 tw- seven. Fantastic. But if there's no one there able to work because this is a employment shortage crisis that is happening in this country. So if that is going on, 
what good is them being open for 24-7? I mean, it's nice. It sounds great. But if you don't have the labor force, Mr. President, then what is the point? Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. 20 okay, so it announced it weeks ago, and yet there's still all these ships backlogged and sitting there outside the port of Long Beach. Maybe because the issue is not the fact that everybody's running home at 5 p.m. Maybe it's something deeper than just a matter of 24-7. 24-7 system, what most of the leading countries in the world already operate on now, except us, until now. This is the first key step toward moving our entire freight, transportation, and logistical supply chain nationwide to a 24-7 system. And here's why it matters. Traditionally, our ports have only been open during the week, Monday through Friday, and they're generally closed down at nights and on weekends. By staying open seven days a week, through the night and on the weekends, the port of Los Angeles will open over 60 extra hours a week will be open. In total, that will almost double the number of hours that the port is open for business from earlier this year. That means an increase in the hours for workers to be moving cargo off ships onto trucks and rail cars to get to their destination. Okay, you can load them onto trucks and load them on these other things, but if you don't have people to drive them, what happens then? They just kind of sit there. We have a trucker shortage in this country of anywhere from 40 to 60,000. And more than that, the night hours are critical for increasing the movement of goods because highways, highways are less crowded in the evening, at night. In fact, during off-peak hours in Los Angeles, cargo leaves the port at a 25% faster pace than during the day shift. So by increasing the number of late night so hours, they are working at nights <laughs> already. If you have that data, right? Prez, El Presidente. Of operation and opening up for less crowded hours when the goods can move faster. Today's announcement has the potential to be a game changer. Really? A game changer? Does anybody really believe it's going to be a game changer? I mean, it's a riveting thing you're reading, and I really do love your reading style these days, Mr. President, but how is it a game changer exactly? That's my question. Ah, who cares? Let's turn to Virginia, shall we? Because there's a big governor's race there, and I haven't talked a lot about it because I don't live there, and maybe you don't live there, but it's a very important race, and we should focus on it. So a frustrated parent, a question today terry mccall of course is running for governor and uh they're outside outside of the building and this person comes over and says hey terry who do you think should be in charge of education if not virginia parents listen to this exchange well it's a long way i'm gonna give it up all right i don't want her laugh like that i don't want her who do you think should be in control of education if not virginia parents vaccinated yeah that's the question i want to know who do you think should be in control of education if not virginia parents governor was it a mistake you're dangerous here i'll build education that's why fox news has me leading let your uncle destroy virginia's education system all right let's get at it buddy from Virginia rising. So he comes out, he goes, have you been vaccinated yet? That's the question I want to know. You should have a mask on. You're dangerous here. First of all, the guy's outside, number one, but he's not kissing Terry McAuliffe. So what is Terry McAuliffe worried about? And Terry McAuliffe's vaccinated. So what's he worried about? It's just an excuse not to answer the question, obviously, and try to get a little dig at the guy. 
clearly. But that's what these guys do all the time. They love doing that, as a matter of fact. And then, of course, they want to turn parents who ask those kind of questions into domestic terrorists. They love doing that, too. Turning them into domestic terrorists is one thing that they're very, very good at in this government. Because if they do that, well then they can make sure that they intimidate people to stay quiet. Be quiet. Don't say anything. Just shut up. Now, the feds, of course, who undermine themselves, they're undermining themselves by targeting parents. They know this because what's going to happen is people are just going to get angrier. And every time you start threatening civil liberties, what inevitably happens is people turn around and say, this is ridiculous. Yes, some are going to be quiet, no doubt about it. But other people are going to say, I'm coming out and speaking. I'm not going to allow this to happen. I refuse to to put this in. There was a hysterical letter from the National School Boards Association that came out. And they literally asked the FBI to get involved here using the following uh, federal laws as basis. The Gun-Free School Zones Act and the Patriot Act, along with the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act, the Violent Interference with Federally Protected Rights Statute, the Conspiracy Against Rights Statute, and other legal powers disproportionate to the threat posed by parents offended by what and how their children might be taught. And they don't like the fact that a lot of these char- these parents are very upset about things like mask mandates, and they're very upset with things like critical race theory. They don't like this. And so what happens is they want to shut them down. It's what they do. They do this all the time. Now, if you're asking the question of what does this accomplish, it accomplishes two things. Number one, it furthers the narrative of domestic terrorism, something they love to push out there. And it may intimidate some people to be quiet, but it's going to get people very upset. And whenever you get people very upset, what inevitably happens is they double down. So there's no unity here. There, there's no there's no a- actual uh, sense of let's try to bring people together here. No, it's call people terrorists. Call people domestic terrorists. Do this all the time, and then eventually, you know, you'll you'll get it. You'll get a situation where we get afraid enough, and we're afraid, and then you know, here's a little uh, supercut from our friends over at Grabian of uh, all kinds of Democrats. Violent-looking, angry, spewing parents outside of these schools. Individuals intent on creating chaos for the sake of creating chaos. These actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. This becomes a security crisis, in a sense, for the nation. This may also mobilize even more law enforcement to, to be at these meetings. It is dangerous to our children when the parents themselves are the school bullies. I think one of the worst things is the actions at the board meetings. Uh, you know, the, the, the calling of names, you know, the, you know, tyrant, Marxist, Aww. communist. We've Aww. never seen anything like we're seeing at these school boards now. What on earth has happened in this country? You know what's happened? First of all, I'll explain to you what's happened in this country. First of all, calling people names is protected speech. It's part of the First Amendment. You may not like it, but it is free speech. You're allowed to call people names. Second of all, whatever happened to sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me? How did this suddenly become an issue of domestic terrorism? And then what's happening at school board meetings is you treat parents like they don't matter. You mock them. You belittle them. You frustrate them. And you do stupid things like make two-year-olds wear masks while educators in Jersey party maskless indoors at a gigantic ball. That's the kind of stuff that makes us mad. You hide these curriculums from us. Curricula? Curriculum? You hide this curricula from us. You don't tell us what our kids are being taught. Not my school, luckily. I'm, I'm lucky. But I'm saying just in general. 
And that's why parents are upset. It's not no secret. In fact, they're telling you this. They're being very honest about what's happening and why they feel this way. You just don't give a damn because you don't think parents should have any say in the process, period. If you did, you'd back school choice because you'd give parents the ability to get their kids out of those schools and put them in a school that they like. But you hate school choice, so you want the parents to just sit down and shut up. That's what's happening here. Let me continue. Sometimes they're not even talking. They are yelling and creating chaos. Things have become so scary at these meetings. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. New laws may be necessary. There's always the possibility uh, that people will face criminal prosecution for this kind of conduct. The FBI and federal law enforcement is tailor-made for that kind of national-level coordination with state and local police. The attorney general has can put out a letter, they will take actions they take. What does it mean that something that is generally boring and neutral, like a school board meeting, has become a locus for violence? You look at the rage, the anger, you think, what is this doing to the children in those homes and their mental health? We have a board of ed working with the local school boards to determine the curriculum for our schools. You don't want parents coming in in every different school jurisdiction. And they want to shut down our schools and, you know, move kids over to charter schools and private schools um, without the oversight of the state. And that's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. All right. No doubt about it. It's definitely wrong to give parents choice in education, uh, clearly. So. Of course, now turning parents into domestic terrorists is exactly what Democrats think in general, but it's also something about federal law enforcement, too. Yesterday, Snarks made a comment that federal law is superior or overrides state law or some inaccurate point. But the philosophy of it, from a Democrat's point of view, is very accurate. They don't believe in something called the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution. They believe federal law is everything, and they want a strong, centralized federal government. It's why you never hear Democrats say they want to defund federal police, federal law enforcement. Now, well, the Border Patrol, yes, but other departments and agencies, not so much. Almost every federal department of government has its own law enforcement wing. Yes, even the EPA has heavily armed federal agents. You notice how you never hear Democrats calling to defund those cops? Why is that? Because they're under federal government control. And they love the idea of having strong federal law enforcement to intimidate the crap out of you. That's why. And they don't want any pesky things like local police getting in the way. The jobs of the local police also are to make sure that parents have a right to speak at these meetings because they're supposed to make sure that the parents uh, have their First Amendment rights protected, too. Remember, the notion of law enforcement isn't just about getting bad guys. It's also about making sure that people have their, their ability to exercise their rights. At least it used to be anyway, and certainly from the federal government's perspective, given that the FBI literally has a civil rights division as part of its credo. So if the FBI is going to partner with local law enforcement, you would imagine that they'd want to make sure that the civil rights of all these parents are in fact being enforced, that parents are given the right to speak. Instead, they're teaming up with local law enforcement to try to intimidate parents. But you know, in the South during the 1960s, in the 1950s, when you had the Freedom Rides, you had local law enforcement covering up the crimes of the segregationists down there and the, the Klan and everybody else. In fact, a lot of them were part of it. So the feds had to go in there under the guise of protecting the civil rights of these Americans. Well, now you have, in this day and age, the feds coming in to make sure that parents don't have their civil rights protected, that parents shut up and don't get their First Amendment rights. Oh, uh, I know, some liberal is going to think that what I mean by that is, well, as long as they're good little boys and girls, they're allowed to speak. 
you can be angry. You can yell. In fact, you can say mean things to people too. All of it is protected speech under the First Amendment. They just don't like the speech. That's the reality here. They don't like it. So as part of this, not only is it going to try to get people to shut up and it's going to make other people double down, which is going to cause more hurt feelings, it also does something else. It solidifies the point of Democrats and the left, which is a strong federal police force that will intimidate the bejesus out of you if you ever step out of line. So be good little boys and girls and don't ever step out of line. Let's cut through the BS. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. And speaking of federal power, yesterday I told you that they're still doubling down on the plan to have the IRS be able to look into your bank accounts. The vampiric one yesterday coming out and going, well, tax cheats, and we can't have tax cheats now. And as long as there are tax cheats, we got to be able to make sure that we can look into their bank accounts. So tax cheats are very, very bad, and it's a terrible, terrible thing. So we got to make sure we give them this power, this federal power, and we got to make sure that if grandma selling doilies on Etsy that we know all about it. Kitchen table to our economy, uh, to global and constitutional. Yeah. Madam Speaker, Speaker. Pelosi, one of the pay-fors in the Build Back Better bill that's been proposed is IRS cracking down on some unpaid taxes. Mm -hmm. Banks are starting to get calls from customers, and they're reporting these calls. They're concerned about this tracking of of transactions that is greater than $600. So Americans are starting to be worried about this. Do you think that this pay-for of of giving the IRS more money to crack down on unpaid taxes is going to Stay in the reconciliation bill. Yes. What do you say yes. to yes. Americans? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, with yes. all due respect, uh, the plural of anecdote is not data. I've said that before here. Huh? Yes, there are concerns that some people have, but if people are breaking the law and not paying their taxes, one way to track them is uh, through the banking measure. I think 600, but that's a negotiation uh, that will go on as to what the amount is. Uh, but yes. Yes, as part of this too, the FDA today announced that they're going to go after salt again, because why should anybody have any fun? The FDA on Wednesday released long delayed short term sodium reduction targets, urging food makers to voluntarily cut back their use of salt to help Americans eat healthier. This is from Politico. The guidance sets voluntary sodium limits for more than 160 categories of processed foods, from pizzas to toddler snacks, with the overall goal of helping consumers cut their average salt intake from 3,400 milligrams to 3,000 milligrams a day, about 12%. This is to reduce the risk of hypertension and other cardiovascular disease, even though a lot of people are not sure that salt plays any role in those things, but hey, why let science get in the way? The policy will be rolled out over the next two and a half years allowing food companies to adjust to the recommendation. Although the policy is voluntary, the guidance is expected to be taken seriously by most food companies. Yeah, you know why? Because they don't want the government busting their chops. That's why. For example, they write, the FDA recommends the bakery industry cut salt across various types of bread. Hey, first of all, if there's no salt in bread, it's it's terrible. Why don't you just let consumers decide this? You see, the government just thinks we're idiots. It really does. This is the mentality of the federal government. They just think we're a bunch of idiots. Maybe people buy that bread because it tastes good to them. They also want to go after the seafood industry to reduce salt in escargot and caviar. 
Okay, now, I don't know how often you're eating escargot and caviar in your day-to-day life, and certainly with inflation, that may be one of the things you have to cut out. Honey, I told you we have to order less caviar. This beluga caviar is killing us with this inflation. So bring out the escargot and extra salt since Biden cut out my salt. So along with your caviar and escargot, uh, why would you have any fun by having something that is delicious? I mean, this is, again, this is the federal government. We're idiots. We don't know what we like and we can't make choices. We can't make proper choices. Frozen food makers are being asked to slash sodium across foods like tater tots and corn dogs. You ever have a tater top that's not very salty? No. Why? Because it wouldn't taste good. That's why. The goal is to slowly dial down the sodium used across the American food supply so consumers' palates can adjust to eating less salt over time. (laughs) I got another idea. You stay the hell out of this because this is none of your business? Now, when did all this begin? Oh, right, under Barack Obama. 2016, when the Obama administration decided that they were going to encourage Americans to eat better. And what they were going to do, first of all, was they were going to try to guilt us with these menus. You go out to dinner with your friends and your family and you sit down and there's a menu. And many times it has the calories, the salt, the fat, all of it. I don't want to see any of it. I'm out to dinner. I'm having fun. I want to see none of it. So don't show any of it to me. I'm serious. Don't show any of it to me. But they do this because they hope that you'll make better choices. And I want to opt out. I want to have the menu that has none of that stuff on it. Give me the menu that doesn't have calorie count so I can just enjoy myself for a night. I mean, every night I got to deal with the kids and cooking dinner. We go out to dinner. The last thing I want to see is that. It's why I choose going to smaller restaurants and not chains whenever I can. Because they don't have to have that stuff on the menus, which is nice. But the chains, a lot of them, even ones that are not chain chains... They have multiple locations. They're still subjected to this rule and they don't want to do it, but they don't have a choice because the federal government's forcing them to do it. And so when Barack Obama decided to get into your kitchen cabinets and lecture you about what you're eating, oh, it's not very good for you, you know? Uh, you should be making better, better fruit choices. Uh, look at that menu item. Uh, be like me and only eat uh, eight almonds a night. That was one of the things they said he did. He ate almonds a night or something weird like that. I, you asked me, the guy's too skinny. Yeah, Obama's too skinny. And by the way, what did all that health do for Joe Biden's brain? Anybody ask that question? They say that eating too much sodium can lead to high blood pressure, which increases the risk of heart attacks and strokes. They say one in three adults and one in 10 children is high blood pressure. Health officials on Wednesday said 95% of children aged 2 to 13 are far exceeding the recommended sodium intake. Gee, I wonder if that has to do with anything about school lunches that are being served. I don't know. Maybe. In 2019, high blood pressure contributed to the deaths of 516,955 people in the U.S. You know what else contributes to high blood pressure? Stress. You know what contributes to stress? Inflation. That's right. When people go to the store and they're finding out that now they're spending more and more money and they're not making more money because they're not getting that 5.9% increase to offset the cost of inflation, uh, that becomes very, very stressful for them. They lose sleep. They get stressed out. And then, yes, that does increase blood pressure. Now, I've never had a recommendation to reduce salt intake because doctors disagree on this. Susan Mayne, the director of the FDA Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition, says, we know that even modest reductions made slowly over the next few years will substantially decrease nutrition-related diseases, make for a healthier population overall, and lower the burden of health care costs in the country. Health advocates lauded the FDA's announcement, even as they called on the agency to go further, like the American Heart Association. 
They love this. And now they want it to be mandatory. And they say it's not enough. It should be more than just a 12% cut. It should be more. Maybe have no salt altogether. Now, Mars, which makes brands like Ben's Original and Tasty Bite, has long supported the FDA's salt reduction efforts, even when many other major food companies were lobbying against the policy. The company said Wednesday it's very happy to see the targets released. They're aiming to cut sodium by an average of 45% in most of its products. Well, that's great. The private sector can do it all by itself. You mean you mean the private sector can make these decisions without government forcing them? Because look, even if salt is a killer, is it really the prerogative of government? People should just eat better. And if they don't eat better, well, that should be on them. But unfortunately now we're all paying the cost of each other's healthcare costs. And so the government now gets to tell us what to do and what to eat and boss us around because we're all paying the tab. That's why a lot of people were against Obamacare, by the way. And they might decide this week that salt is the leading cause of uh, death. And next week they may decide it's the healthiest thing on the planet. Because have you noticed recently they've been doing a lot of that? Yesterday it was that a baby aspirin would save your life. Tomorrow it's that a baby aspirin will kill you. And then I think sometime next week a baby aspirin might make you become a pregnant person. I'm not quite sure how that works. But I imagine in some way, shape, or form it'll be laced with hypocrisy. Bottom line is this, from Michael Bloomberg to these nanny staters in D.C., bureaucrats love doing this, don't they? Going after our drink sizes, the kind of beverages we have, what we're eating. And they come up with ridiculous policies. Like in Philadelphia, for example, they have a soda tax to try to get people to buy less soda. Has it resulted in people drinking less soda? No, it's resulted in people paying more for that soda. They'll just find another way to buy it. It's also why the FDA has come out and said, okay, you can do e-cigarettes because you're going to do it anyway. People are going to make whatever choices they want to make. When the government starts bossing companies around with the whole idea of, well, it's just voluntary, all that really means is do what we say or we'll find other ways to bust your chops. Because, again, they love big government, don't they? They really, really do. It's like they just can't cut their addiction for that. But I'd like to see that, by the way. How about the government goes on a diet where they stop making rules and regulations? You know, just a little bit. I say cutting carbs, it's cutting regulations. Maybe trim down some of the bureaucracy. Get a little bit lighter in the load with all those fat cats in Washington. By the way, you ever see how unhealthy some of those steak dinners are in D.C. with all those lobbyists? I'm just saying. Have a great rest of your day today. Thanks for listening to the podcast. See you tomorrow.